The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The text for our meditation this morning are the words that were read for you earlier in our gospel reading. This morning, we heard about a man who had certain expectations. And when you came to worship here this morning, you had expectations too. What were those expectations? Were they different from your normal Sunday morning expectations or not? You see, for many of the people who came to the other services, but even this service, we are doing things a bit different than we oftentimes do. The previous services, we used this hymnal. I received it on May 3rd, 1970, when I confirmed my faith. And so, this was the hymnal I grew up with. The service we grew up with. The service that we have used today is Divine Service 3 in our newer hymnal, our current one, but we put it up on the screens. We print it for you to make it easier for you to know what it is that we are going to be doing. But we wanted to go back, since this is our 75th anniversary, to remember what it was like for many people to worship, the way our forefathers worshipped, our foremothers worshipped, if you will, maybe back in the 40s, 1950s, even before I was born. But some of us worshipped using that service, and we have it memorized by heart. But for us today, it's important we hear and know that what we've done in the past is very in line with what the church has done for centuries, all the way back to the time of the early church. That's why our worship service today continued to begin with the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to remind you and me that we are baptized. We need to be here and remember God is a God who loves us and he calls us sinners to faith and says, you are mine. And he promises to be with us always. But we also know we mess up every week, every day we mess up. And that's why we take the time to confess those sins as brothers and sisters in Christ and say to God, God, I'm sorry again. And God says, as we heard today from Pastor Dan, your sins are forgiven. Now, you got to know Pastor Dan isn't any better than you. I'm not any better than you. But one of the things that we rejoice is that God gives us the privilege to be called your pastors because you say, I want you to speak for God, and I want you to speak for me and say your sins are forgiven. Because we're forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And then we're ready to praise God. And that's why we hear God's word. And that's why we focus on what God has to say to us today. We heard today from our epistle reading. I preached on Ephesians 6 several weeks ago. It's a great text because it reminds us of the spiritual battles that we face. 
It reminds us that God is the one who is with us as the devil wants to attack us and turn us away from God so that we want to do our own thing. But God, by his mercy, has clothed us with the waters of baptism and given us this armor so that we can fight against the devil and his attacks so that we are able to stand firm because Satan was defeated when Jesus died on that cross. And so we are encouraged today and every day to put on that full armor of God. Now today in our gospel reading, we heard about this man who came to Jesus with expectations. He was going through a tough time. He had heard that Jesus was this miracle worker, this guy who healed people, and he had been doing this all along, all over the place. So he left his home in Capernaum, and he went down to Cana in Galilee, and there he wanted to talk to Jesus, plead with Jesus, to go back with him to heal his son. Now, he was an official in Herod's court, so he could easily have sent his servants, but he didn't want to send his servants. He wanted to go himself, and he went as quickly as he could. Now, before I continue on to talk about that story, I want you to know the context, because that's important. John tells us that earlier, Jesus had done his first miracle or sign in Cana of Galilee. You can read about it. Maybe you remember it. It's a story about Jesus changing water into wine at a wedding feast. The groom was distraught. I have not enough wine to give to my guests. But Jesus changed what was water into wine, his first miracle, something that no one else could do but only God could do. The Greek language tells us that word is semion. We can translate it either as miracle or we can translate it as sign. Both of those are important words because they point to something. You see, Jesus did not do a miracle simply because people demanded one. Nor did Jesus do miracles or signs to prove that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. But Jesus did do miracles and signs because he wanted them to believe in him as their Lord and Savior. You see, Jesus came to give people life. He came to give people eternal life. Because Adam and Eve sinned against God. They turned away from God. And so Jesus wants to save us. And he wants to save other people too. That's why at the very end of John's gospel, he tells us the following. Now Jesus did many other signs, miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want you to hear that loudly and clearly. These things that are written down in the Bible are written down 
for one main purpose, and that is that you may believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. After all, you and I live thousands of years after Jesus was here on this earth. How would we be able to truly know what Jesus did? What did he say? And why is that important to us if we didn't have the Bible? That's why God directed the prophets and the apostles to write down for us what it is we need to know, what others need to know, so that they might believe in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Jesus did not heal people so that people would believe he was the Messiah, because many people saw Jesus as a miracle worker, as someone who would only help them in this life. He would take bread and fish and multiply it and feed thousands of people. He would take water and change it into wine. He would help to meet people's earthly needs. But that does not do anything for a person spiritually and where they will spend eternity. Jesus came so that he might give people the gift of faith and believing in him will give them the gift of eternal life. Getting back to this royal official. Here he is arriving in Cana of Galilee. This is a man who had wanted to go in front of Jesus and plead with him to come with him to go and heal his son. But John doesn't fill in all of the blanks as nice and clearly as we would like because the very first thing that happens, the man doesn't ask anything, but Jesus tells the man this. Unless you, plural you, like all of you, see signs and wonders, you, all of you, will not believe. So it's confusing because we think, okay, the guy's there. Why is Jesus saying to all of you? Well, that's where knowing the context is helpful. A few verses earlier, we are told that the people from Cana welcomed Jesus to their hometown. They wanted Jesus to do miracles again. They expected a hometown boy, come on, show us what you can do. I mean, after all, isn't that what a hometown boy will do? Make good for his hometown people? But Jesus says to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sad reality is he knew these people. They would not believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior unless he did miracles. But that's all they wanted was miracles. They didn't want to believe in him as their Lord and Savior. They only wanted someone who could help them in their earthly life. So Jesus wanted them to know that faith is much more than believing in a miracle. You see, Jesus had a plan to come and heal and forgive and save souls. Most of all, he had a plan to pay for your sins and my sins on the cross at Calvary because Jesus wanted to save us just as he wanted to save them. Although Jesus wanted those people to believe in him, he focused his attention upon this official who then said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
That poor man was distraught. Have you ever been afraid that your child might die without medical assistance? My wife and I were afraid when our son Seth was three years old. He was pretty lethargic. And so we brought him to the pediatrician who examined him and sent us to the hospital for observation. After some time, Seth was growing more lethargic and he was beginning to drool even more. And because of this attentive nurse who noticed that, our pediatrician came in and told us that he wanted to do surgery because Seth had epiglottitis, which meant his epiglottis would swell and cut off the airway and he would no longer be able to breathe unless they were able to either get a tube down his throat or do a tracheotomy. And so he had a tracheotomy and he is now healed. And we thank God for that. But not every parent, not every loved one will receive that good news that their child, their loved one is healed. It's difficult when people are going through these times. It's a time when we can only cling to the cross, offer up our prayers and ask that our loved one would indeed be healed and pray, thy will be done. Knowing that God's ultimate desire and will and promise is that when we die, we will receive a new and glorious body, a resurrected body, and we will become perfect and live in God's presence forever. But we don't want to let go of anybody in this lifetime. And so we pray that our loved ones will be restored to health according to God's will. So Jesus heard this man say, Sir, come down and heal my child. Did you notice how that man then reacted when Jesus simply said to him, Go, your son will live. When I first heard that statement, I thought to myself, What? Go, your son will live? Why don't you go with him, Jesus? Why don't you go and help him? But the truth is, Jesus' refusal to go with the official called for the official to listen and to believe. To believe Jesus' words. He went. Yes, he went. He heard Jesus' words and he believed Jesus. Just as we sang in our sermon hymn, Speak, O Lord, your servant listens. Let your word to me come near. Newborn life and spirit give me. Let each promise still my fear. Death's dread power, it's inward strife. Wars against your word of life. Fill me, Lord, with love's strong fervor that I cling to you forever. Jesus said, go, your son lives. He assured him that he could go home right then and there. It was not necessary for Jesus to go to Capernaum and be there. Jesus suspended his anxiety and told him right then and there, your son lives. Jesus answered his prayer and gave him his son life. Jesus showed that the power to heal lies in the person of Jesus. It's a matter of Jesus' will and his word. 
not one of inches or one of miles. Jesus gives the man his word so succinctly, your son will live. The man is told to believe, and he did. He only had Jesus' word, but he believed. By God's grace, faith was kindled in this official's heart. By Jesus, he will live. And John tells us the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way without visible or tangible evidence. He spoke, and he had the best evidence possible, Jesus' word. Do you remember what Jesus told Thomas after he had appeared to him a week after his resurrection in the upper room? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thankfully, this boy was completely restored. So the servants went at once to meet this father and told him that his son was healed as soon as Jesus had spoken that truth. The father believed, his household believed. We praise God for that. And today, none of us will ever know what the future will be, but we do know who holds the future. So whatever expectations we bring, let us cling to the cross and our Lord and Savior. Amen.